staff need to feel successful. They need to celebrate successes. You've got to reward them and make sure they know that they're being successful. And offering training and development is, is a big thing. If they know they're going to get lots of training with you and they're learning all the time from you, then I think that's going to be good. And, and moving with the times. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm delighted to be joined today by Abigail Stevens. Abigail is the founder and managing director of Think Global Recruitment, which she set up 21 years ago. She herself has over 25 years international accounts and finance recruitment experience. And for over two decades, she and her team have been assisting accountants to move across the globe, literally from any country to any country. Abigail, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's great to be here. You know, when I first launched this podcast, you were at the top of my list of people I wanted to interview. You weren't quite ready to do it when I first approached you. I'm so glad that we're finally making this happen. Um, That's great. Do you know that we started our businesses around the same time? I think, did you launch in 2000? We did. We launched in 2000. Awesome. And I remember we used you quite early doors, didn't we? Yeah. So I started my recruitment training business in 2001 and you were one of my first clients. So we've known each other for almost 20 years, which is just crazy. Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> uh, time flies when you're having fun. Um, and for some reason, you're only my second guest based in Edinburgh. Um, I, I also had Nick Price from Bright Purple. Do you know Nick? Yes, I know Nick well. Lovely guy. What a fantastic human being he is. And uh, what was great is he agreed to come on the show, provided we only discussed his failures rather than his successes. So um, it was an interesting uh, conversation. Abigail, could you tell me the story of your career from, you know, starting your own business at a very young age and, and how that all came about? Absolutely. Great. Yeah, it, it's funny to say young age. I'm actually going to be 50 in two weeks time. And, and it really does make you reflect back because if I was just 28 when I started Think Global Recruitment. Um, oh, that's awesome. Think- Congratulations. That's uh, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, well, um, you know, um, back then, little 28-year-old Abigail, I, I guess uh, a lot of people said to me I was very brave setting up my own business at the time. Um, I'd say I was probably more naive. I thought it was all going to be plain sailing and really easy to to run your own business. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's been a really interesting journey and, and very exciting. Um, I guess if I, I rewound just a little bit to, to sort of what got me to that position, um, be quite interesting. Um, I, I'd actually been in marketing prior to falling into recruitment, as everybody does. <laughs> and yep. um, the, uh, I'd, I'd been in marketing straight from school at the age of 16. Um, and um, I, I, I was um, working various PR jobs until I was about 20. Um, and then um, I set up my first real business. Um, when I say real business, I'd actually been running small businesses since about the age of six, which included selling sweeties at the end of the road, <laughs> charging people for puppet shows. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> oh, cool. All sorts of stuff. You know, stationery at the back of the classroom. I was selling from some bankrupt stock from my dad's um, work, you know, anything like that I could do. So so actually running my own business was quite natural when I was 20 and, and, and going in to run this off stationery business. Um, I did that for about a year, but then I got these itchy feet. I had to go traveling around the world. So I went off around the world. And, Hold on, um, Abigail. What I, yeah. I missed? What was your first business when you were twenty? Oh, it's office stationery supplies. Oh, stationery. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> Theo Pafidis, uh, 
you know, what uh, was it retail or what was the setup? Both. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We had a shop. Um, so we ran it from a shop, but we also did business to business. So delivered directly to lots of businesses. Um, and, and that had been, um, you know, both both avenues. Probably the business to business is more lucrative than, um, you know, obviously just selling in the shop front. But the shop front was more fun. I loved the customer interaction. Um, so, yeah. So so I did that. And it, it, was, it was successful. Great. Um, a good a good uh, a good little business. Um, I did not know that. That's cool. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you decide to go traveling, which many young people mm-hmm. do, and and that obviously had a big impact on what you chose to do later on. Tell tell me about that mm. chapter then. Oh, it definitely did. Yeah. So I had this round the world ticket. Um, I went through um, Thailand and through the Philippines, and then got to Australia. Um, got to Australia and absolutely fell in love with the place. So I got sort of stuck there. I worked for the Australian Trade Commission and um, they I was in marketing, working in their PR um, and marketing branding division um, and uh, did that for three years and adored it. But I think the whole traveling thing does give you confidence and, and make you a very different individual. Um, I had to, the time came when it was time to leave Australia um, and come back to the UK um, I'd grown up in the south of England, but um, somehow all my friends in Australia were from Scotland and there's no expat like a Scottish expat. They do nothing <laughs> but talk about Scotland. So I thought I'd come up here and find out a bit more about Bonnie Scotland. My sister had previously lived here, so I knew a little bit about it, but that was great. And I just fell in love with, with Edinburgh and never left. Um, came here for a couple of weeks and that was 25 years ago. Um, so Amazing. Mm, and so uh, you had the international travel, you had the experience running your own business. How did the recruitment piece uh, fall into place? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, my first, um, when I first got to, to Edinburgh, I decided to temp um, for an agency um, to, while well, I was looking for a permanent job. And that agency had me in at the marketing team of the Edinburgh Tourist Board. Um, and then I got a phone call from them and they said, we think you'd be a very good recruitment consultant. Um, so, I'd said to them, uh, what makes you say that? And they said, um, well, what is good about it? And why do you think that? And they said, well, you seem confident. I had actually, I'd missed out. Just before I went traveling, I did a, a three-month piece helping um, Reebok um, in recruitment move from um, the north of England down to Stockley Park near London. Huh. Um, and that was a temp job I'd done to get some money to travel with. So I'd had a taste. So I thought, yeah, this sounds good. And then I said to them, what do you like about recruitment? They said, it's like running your own business. And I said, oh, I know about that. And they said, yeah. Yeah, you get given a budget, you run your own desk, you've got to track your clients, you track your candidates and what you put in is what you get out. So the harder you work at it, the more commission you're going to get, the more rewards you're going to get, the more satisfaction from helping people. And I went, that sounds quite cool. So yeah, um, it was Caledonian Recruitment, which was um, had a 5% share owned by uh, Pertemps when I joined them. Ah. So I got training from Pertemps, went down to their beautiful manor in England and um, it was just a really good experience of learning and grounding. Um, so yeah, and I did a, an accountancy and finance temp desk, um, which, uh, which, which was really good grounding. Cause I think it, if you come in through the temp route, I've been perm ever since, but, um, it gave me the speed, the sense of urgency. And I think you really need that even on a perm desk. So, um, sure. yeah, yeah. Right. Loved Amazing. it. So, yep. and then, uh, I think, did you, you end up joining another international recruiting firm, mm. didn't you? 
I did. I got headhunted, you know, at that time. And I think it's still so. You get hundreds of companies approaching you and say, come and work for us. You're great. We're all this. And um, I got a call from this agency and it was the only one that really appealed to me. And I said, well, what, what are you offering? And they said, an international desk. You're going to be moving accountants across the globe. And I went, I've lived and worked overseas. I love that. And I'm passionate about it. And I did. I just found that, you know, I got so much from that overseas experience. I wanted others to have it. So getting involved with that was one of the best things ever. Um, and I worked for them. I joined them initially. It was a quiet desk that hadn't been um, worked for um, for a year or so. Um, I uh, was moving accountants across the globe. Um, and um, I also was supposed to do some local recruitment. <laughs> In my first year, I placed about um, £200,000 worth of overseas placements and about 60000 on the local desk. Wow. Um, and back then, that was good. The average fees were about 6000 That's um, tremendous that first less. year. That's incredible. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> so anyway, because I did that, they I said to them, look, how about I bring someone else in to do the local desk? I'll manage them and I'll keep doing international. So we did that. And then it went from there because every year the person on the local desk kept saying, can I join the international desk? And then we just added to the, moved them into international, got someone else trained up in the local. And it kept going from there until I had a team across Edinburgh and Glasgow. Amazing. Um, yeah. And it's all interesting because it all forms part of the story. And it was a great company to work for. And I really loved it. Um, they, um, at the time, they were doing an assessment to see who would be good directors in the business. And I went through an assessment day along with some of the other managers and they came back and said, oh, you're, you'd be an amazing director. You're very entrepreneurial. You know how to do this. So, you know, you'll be great on the board of directors. So that made me think. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's a sh shame for them because what, what it did do is I, I'd sat there and went, okay, so I'm very good at being a director. I can run a business. I'm entrepreneurial. I should maybe do this on my own. And, um, you know, I knew at the time our desk was the most profitable in the company. And um, I felt like really passionate about the international recruitment and just wanted to go alone and, and run it as a specialist in international. Um, so that was it. 2000, um, I left and started Think Global Recruitment. Interesting. Wow, that's amazing. Abigail, <laughs> do you know what? I think you personally are responsible for spawning an entire almost industry within international accounting recruitment in Scotland and whole generations of recruiters who have, you know, come after you. Um, I'm sure that you were a big impetus uh, on that. Um, you know, there must be, you know, dozens of international recruitment consultants now who might not have been in that sector had you not pioneered it kind of all those years ago. I think you, you, you're probably right. Yes, um, I, it seems to be the evidence shows that. And it's one of the things I'm most proud of, actually, is um, the people that I've trained and brought through over the years and um, what I've been able to, you know, give to the industry in that way. It's, it's, it's been absolutely great. Abigail, could you talk, I mean, like 20 years, we can't do justice to your, like everything you've learned and, and so on in that time frame, But... Um, what's really interesting about your story is that you, so you were a, a top biller and a manager at another firm. You set up on your own. You actually built a really large firm and then you contracted down to a small firm again. And now you're growing again, but in a different business model. Could you speak to that a little bit in terms of like talking me through those key inflection points, why you made the decisions that you did along the way? 
Absolutely, yeah, no problem at all. So, um, yeah, well, the first the first office we had was in Edinburgh. That's where I lived, and it, it made a lot of sense. Um, and I always had a vision that I'd have a Glasgow office as well, I guess because I'd had a team across Edinburgh and Glasgow previously. So the Glasgow office started within the first year. Um, and um, then we got approached by two um, Hayes consultants. Hayes had a small division doing some international recruitment, and the two that were in that division asked if they could set up our office for us in London. So we said, yeah, that sounds a really good idea. Um, let's go for it. And we set up London. Um, then one of our consultants who worked for us in Edinburgh from almost day one, she'd started as a temp and, then, and an admin and then become a recruitment consultant and a manager. She said she was returning to New Zealand. And so we said, well, you know, we could do with an office on that side of the world. So um, hence uh, New Zealand was born. Um, and um, having lived in Australia for three years myself, um, I really felt that we needed an, an office in Australia as well if we're going to have one on that side of the world. So um, we persuaded one of the managers who'd been in London who used to live in Australia to go back and set it up. Um, so I spent um, several years living between two months there, two months here, two months there, two months here. Wow. And when I'm here, I'm going around the three offices. When I'm there, I'm going around the two offices. I actually loved it. Um, it's, it was really good, but it was nice just to keep, you know, I wanted to go and see the offices and be able to keep that personality, the, you know, the, 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 the ethics we have in the business, the culture, et cetera, all going through in the service levels. That's one of the challenges um, is with uh, international offices or even just multiple branches is, maintaining your culture and your way of doing things and the cohesion there and that um, making sure you don't lose that. It is. It, it, it's, a, it's a huge thing, just making sure that happens. And we were lucky that all of our office had been born out of, um, you know, sort of the almost from the Edinburgh office, um, you know, the people or, or the existing offices. So they had already been homeschooled um, through us, I guess. And, and that was something that I felt was quite good. Definitely. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah, it did make a lot of sense yeah. and it, it worked well. Um yeah. And, and, and God, we have glory years. Those, those first few years, we went up and up. We were making lots of profit. Um, we were storming and, um, and, and it was great. It was absolutely awesome. We'd maybe overspent. We stretched ourselves. We put our office in London in Mayfair. Wow. Um, okay. That's... <laughs> um, yeah. Some of it, it, but the thought path was we wanted to attract the best consultants on the market. So we wanted to give them a nice, interesting, sexy place to work. We right. wanted to our clients when they were visiting we wanted we took them to breakfast at the ritz and we did things like that or you know it, it, we made it really um good fun for them um and we also um uh and then and then in sydney we were in an a-listed building and you know beautiful views and everything and those two those two locations also carry very high salaries yes. and i think we probably stretch a bit thin there um but they were still exciting times yeah. um we started a county worldwide international recruitment conference um, and we ran that. We we organised about ten of those across. Um, we'd run them in um, in England, in um, South Africa, and in Australia. Um, so we'd had various different ones, and we'd get um, up between 100 and 300 delegates coming. We would get our, our, the biggest number of companies. I think it was about 20 companies came from all over the world and presented and exhibited and interview candidates at these events. Um, so that was really exciting. It just kept our name on the map. Abigail, could you speak a little more on that? Because this was a genius idea. I've always thought that was, and I don't know any other uh, uh, company that did it, at least not as successfully as, as you did. What's the, 
how did that actually work? So you you host the conference, you get make sure you've got lots of delegates along who are sort of candidates, and then you invite clients to basically pitch their business and then you run interviews at those events is that the yeah absolutely it was it was very labor intensive but it was mm. great the clients all paid to attend as well to okay. have their space they would fight for spaces um wow. because we'd say we'd we'd the earlier years we said we'd only have one company representing one type of industry sector for each country okay um we did actually expend on that at one point we had about four Four, the big, all of the big four from Australia and New Zealand came at one year, um, but wow. um, yeah. So we had um, we'd have all these different companies there, and then they would interview the day. You had to run the schedule. We had all the staff. You know, everyone was there to man it and to run it and to make sure we had a big interview table desk where you had to get make sure no one clashed their interviews, and we had to prep all the candidates before the event. It was just like a, it was so much went into it. Like insane, but really exciting at the same time. Yeah. So you had like really PwC, Deloitte, KPMG, EY, Grant yep. Thornton, you know, they would BDO, all come yep, along all and they companies. paid to come. Yeah. But then presumably you also got a placement fee uh, as well. Yep. Okay. They did indeed. Yeah, they did. I mean, we were still very much pioneers and almost the only ones doing international recruitment at the time. Okay. So it just made sense for them to come and get these candidates. And and, and in fairness, you know, it, it works so well. A lot of them are still these days, we're, we're looking at potentially resurrecting this as a virtual conference now. But, oh, cool. Um, because these companies are struggling a little bit to, to get the people on board. And um, it just gives them a one-stop shop because they need a lot of people every year. Yes. Um, yeah. So Amazing. And, um, getting the right people. So, um, like, in terms of organizing that, did you have a full-time event person or? Uh, yeah, at our height, um, when we were at our largest, we actually had um, two and a half people in marketing. Okay. And they would they would help run the event, um, all the marketing side of it, making sure the promotion materials were going out. And then all the consultants, it's down to them, persuade their candidates to come along as well yeah. or chat up the clients and get the clients to come. Um, so yeah, there's, there's all sorts of things going on with it. It was phenomenal and it was fun. It was really hard work, but it's so exciting. And to meet the clients and candidates and have all that face-to-face -face contact, it was Absolutely. quite an intense rush. <laughs> I guess that's the, the potential downside of running an international business is that, you know, and this is before Zoom and, you know, all that, right? So you're mainly working on the phone and yeah. you miss that face-to-face -face contact. So you just found a different way of creating that connection that's and right. that intimacy. Yes, yeah. It was always boom or bust with the, the client facing because you're either going on a visit to Bermuda, beating ten clients in one go, or you're yes. just not seeing them at all. It's all phone work. So yes. until, of course, as you said, until 2020, where life has um, got amazing. So yeah, again, so, that's right. Yeah, very exciting. so at uh, your peak in terms of size, what was the what was the size of the business? So we had 59 staff, okay. um, and that was across four offices at the time. We'd merged uh, New Zealand into Australia, actually, mm -hmm. because in, in New Zealand, we'd end up in Wellington, and it was really hard to find consultants in Wellington. We were in the yeah. wrong city, probably, and we just felt we could run it all from Australia. So, so yeah, um, we had plans to open in Hong Kong um, and, uh, yeah, and, and continue growing. Mm. Um and then, <laughs> end of 2007, 2008 hit, uh, financial services uh, recession. Um, I remember it well. So, that was uh, not fun at all. Not fun. Not so, fun. So, um, before we talk about that, though, like looking back over your meteoric growth and opening offices in Mayfair and, you know, uh, in Sydney and having like really flash offices and stuff, would you 
have still done it that way or is there anything you would do differently? Yeah, I, I think we probably would have looked at the overheads a little bit better on those offices, um, definitely, um, and just sort of bought them in a little bit lower. I mean, they did, they did, they honestly did seem to attract good consultants, mm-hmm. but um, they they maybe could have been elsewhere, those offices, um, in a bit of a cheaper premises. Yeah. yeah. Okay, interesting. Would you like to make the transition from pure contingency to being a retained recruiter? Do you want to be respected? as a true business partner by your clients while increasing your average fee? If so, then clearly you need to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Our sponsor, iIntro, gives you a turnkey solution for winning retained searches and managed service agreements at higher fees. You will take business away from your competitors because you can actually show the client a unique methodology in a very tangible way and demonstrate conclusively how you will improve their staff retention and reduce their total cost per hire while also saving hours of management time. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Book a free consultation. There's no obligation, and if you mention that you listen to this podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount on any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. So then uh, what happened during the recession? Um, So recession hit. Mm -hmm. Um, By this point, we also had two non-exec directors, um, and we had a board meeting um, and decided that we would close the remote offices. Um, you know, as I'd mentioned, um, London, Sydney had been costing quite a lot of money to run, and um, Edinburgh was still very successful, making profit. Glasgow was doing okay, um, and we merged Glasgow. We we well, we had we had consultation talks with everyone, um, and we offered for them to um, merge in with the Edinburgh office, which, in fact, every single member of staff in Glasgow asked to commute through and work. Some of them working part time from home and part in the office, and oh, we, we managed to do that. the The whole operation of actually closing the other offices and, and making redundancies was was absolutely had to be done by clockwork because we didn't want we were across two different time zones, and we obviously didn't want one time zone then telling the others, giving mm. them the heads up, and giving them a worried before we could talk to them properly. Yes, um, and that was really tough. And I couldn't be in every place at once. Um, oh. I recorded a video to tell okay. everyone. Um, and um, then we had my senior people in every office ready to deliver it and talk through it. Mm-hmm. When I did this video, I was sitting in Australia and my co-director, Kramen, was over here. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I'm really struggling. I keep crying. And he mm-hmm. said, well, let me look at it. And he said, keep it. He said, you know, the, the staff need to see how you feel. It's, it, it is, it was, you know, one of those, I'm welling up now thinking about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just one of those moments when you're just like, oh God, I can't believe I'm doing this, you know. So, so yeah, so, so we ended up with a lot of good leavers. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people were very positive about the experience, I think. Um, and, and hopefully everybody realized why it had to be done. Yeah. But um, yeah. Wow. That's um, the tough so, part. You, that's the, part, the, yeah. the not fun part of running a business, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Something that 28-year-old Abigail hadn't envisaged. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yes, that's yeah. tough. So you, you, you came through that really tough uh, period. And then what was the sort of emerging out of the recession then? What, what was the shape of the business then? 
So, so yes, yeah, so we came out with about 20 plus people in Edinburgh office. Um, and um, we, we maintained that actually until um, just a few years ago. Um, and uh, it got better because post-recession, we, we were learning. Um, you know, we'd had the dot-com recession when I first started the business, quite interestingly, but we, we got through that when it wasn't as effective as financial services, which affects the accountancy and finance sector. Yes. But yeah, so coming out, we, we started to learn that actually that after a recession, there's a big shortage of candidates. Right. Um, and um, so we then had some other really good years uh, a few years after, and that started going okay. Um, but we did lose some of some really good people within our business and and that will be you know maybe a, uh, one of those regrets that i'll have um for a long long time you lose systems and processes that are in people's heads uh-huh. um and you, you you do lose a bit of that loyalty and that wow we're all we're all on fire and we're just going forward 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 so it does make a big difference to your mm. business a big difference definitely um so well, i would think twice about it again uh, abigail obviously this is one of those things that's not in your control. You have some influence, but you can't ultimately, people do what they're going to do, right? And uh-huh. looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently that you think might have maybe not saved all of them, but you might have retained a few of those key people? Yeah, I think there is. Um, we were about to launch two new, two new divisions when it happened. One was doing legal recruitment, okay. but one was also temp and, uh, temp and contractors. Okay. Um, the legal recruitment would have been a disaster because that, that took even bigger hit than we did in the recession. Right. Um, but temp and contractors would have probably saved us a bit. Right. Because I think in recessions, again, people then say, well, we've got to look at our P&L. We can't hire people, permanent staff, but we can bring some contractors in yes. to help keep the work going through. And that that probably would have been the one thing that that would have helped us at that point. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then, okay, so any other pearls of wisdom in terms of staff retention? Because this is, the recruiting industry notoriously has, um, you know, a challenge with retention. Um, Why do you think that is? And what do you think owners can do uh, to counteract that i think it's a tough one i mean in 2016 we won the rec award for um you know recruitment agency of the year for you know keeping for staff and the way we looked after staff and you know sort of saying that we were one of the best employer best employer that's what it was Amazing. and um but we still would have turnover you know yes. and i think you can do an awful lot for people but it just depends and one of the things for me was it's very hard when you're bringing rookies in that's where the turnover often happens because a lot of trainees don't know if they like recruitment or not sure. you know they're new to it it's a starting point and they might decide after a year or so that this isn't for them and then you you get that turnover um you know, and 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 I guess that sort of brings us forward some ways to what our decision was in our new growth plan, um, and um, so we're mainly getting people in, mainly but not all, um, that are experienced consultants because we knew at least we've ticked the box that they like recruitment. <laughs> so True, that yeah. really helps. Yeah, um, I think you know staff need to feel successful. They need to celebrate successes. You've got to reward them and and and, and make sure they know that they're they're being successful. Um, and offering training and development is, is a big thing. If they know they're going to get lots of training with you and they're learning all the time from you, then I think that's going to be good. Um, and, and moving with the times. So I, I, you know, our new model, do you want me to talk about that now? Should I give yeah. a little bit okay, about that? Okay, so just before we go into that, um, we had the, the latest pandemic. What, 
it, what impact, because you guys are, we're moving people from one country to the next. So that obviously mm. was off the table. So how did you weather the storm? Um, we flexed a bit. Uh, we, we we actually, it was quite interesting. So I think it was March when, um, 2020, and the REC were coming up for a meeting in Edinburgh. And a couple of days before I sent them a message and said, should we add to the agenda something about this COVID thing that's happening? Um, and um, they said, at the time, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. By the time it got to the day of the meeting, I just, oh, in fact, on the day of the meeting, they told us that LinkedIn were going to be coming over for it, but LinkedIn had banned all their staff from flying wow. because of this COVID okay. thing. Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh, my God, mm. <laughs> this is it. This is going to be, we can't fly. People can't fly. People aren't going to be moving. That's what we do for a living is move people across the globe. So I actually called off that meeting and um, my co-director and I had a SWAT meeting and we, we did an analysis, and, which we've done before when we get to these moments, Brexit, this one. Um, and we just said, okay, how's this going to work for us? Um, and, and we had to look for where we could and what we could do. And, and, and some of that was, um, you know, we flexed a bit and we, we, we've actually found a bit of a, a niche where we were, um, finding people who were new in the country or had recently been in the country or, um, needed a visa transfer. So we were still placing people from overseas, but they were already in the country okay. into jobs. Excellent. Um, All right. Yes. <laughs> so we had an international <laughs> flavor to it, but it wasn't as international as it had been. Yes. Um, we, we did try and, and, and we still do sort of encouraging companies to think about the remote working model as well. Yeah. Um, and, and some companies were taking people on board um, and saying, okay, well, they can start remotely and then as soon as they can fly, they can come here. Um, we had starters that actually did fly during all of this. They had to fly into a quarantine hotel mm-hmm. wherever they were going or go directly into quarantine in various countries around the world. Um, and some of their stories are brilliant. They never actually got to meet their new colleagues for a year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was just like, so other than on, on the course, this wonderful evo- evolution of Teams and Zoom, um, which which has changed our lives. But yeah, so so we managed. We, 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 yes. we got through it. And we didn't only get through it. We did decide that halfway through it that um, we were going to expand. Wow. Um, good. That's yeah. a bold uh, choice. <laughs> um, what? Tell me your thought process there. Okay. So, so our thought process was that we knew from the previous recessions we'd been through um, that after a recession, usually there's a shortage of people. Yes. And so we knew that there was going to be a high demand for our candidates at the end of all of this. Um, we also started to see the fellow schemes kicking in, a lot of recruitment consultants available on the market. And we thought, let's snap them up now. Let's yes. just get through this. Um, we can use any assistance we can and the grants that the government were giving and just help us. And instead of putting people on furlough, we were bringing people in that had been on furlough in other companies and employing them. Amazing. Um, yeah, and we could get experienced consultants. We also realized that people had had that experience now of working from home and that we could offer them a home situation, which meant that I didn't have to just look for recruitment consultants in Edinburgh. I could look across the whole globe and find the best people in the world to work for us instead of the best people on our doorstep. That is um, amazing, Abigail. That's so, like, looking back, it's obvious, right? But at the time, that was a brave move when everyone else is like, you know, battening down the hatches, making people redundant, putting people on furlough, trying to like, and you're, uh, I interviewed James Cann, uh, whose famous expression is observe the masses and do the opposite. And that's exactly what you guys did. You took, you, you turned that to your advantage. That's so cool. 
Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I wanna encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. So tell me more about this new business model and how it's working for you. Sure. Well, um, basically, we 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 were hearing from clients that they weren't seeing any lack of um, any loss in productivity, and in fact, any in some scenarios, increase in productivity from their teams and their staff. Mm-hmm. We were feeling it ourselves. I was loving it because of obviously during lockdown, the one thing you could do is go for long walks, so I could just whatever you know wrap my work around my walks and mm. and go out and do these walks and do nice. whatever exercise I wanted to do, go to the gym, um, but and then work the hours I wanted. Um, and, um, we also got that, um, wonderful thing called Calendly and all these different calendar diary things. So that became absolutely awesome because if I could block out in my calendar, the things that the times I want to do personal stuff, but then let candidates have other hours to the day that maybe before it'd been harder to sort of work out where are we going to do this, but they could choose. Um, and when you're dealing with the whole world anyway, we've got different time zones. So, so yeah, we could flex around that. And, um, so, uh, where, how it's worked out? Well, we, we advertise the effort we did in June, 2020, I got about 200 responses to it. Wow. Incredible. Unbelievable. Experienced consultants. And I interviewed about 60 odd. Um, and, you know, and selected some of the really best. I've done the same advert this year and I'm not getting nearly the same response. Yeah, now everyone's hiring again. (laughs) But um, Um, but yeah, it was wonderful. So where Um, did you advertise in June? Okay, so so in June, we looked quite a lot at South Africa okay. um, for a starter and the UK. Yeah. And then and then we just sort of put things out randomly. What I ended up with now, well, what we've got now is we've got um, consultants in South Africa, mm-hmm. in Canada, mm-hmm. um, in Europe and in Scotland, England and Ireland. Um, and in fact, we, 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 we did start somebody over in the Philippines, but, um, she's on, um, leave at the moment. So, um, yeah, so it's been, it's been really sort of very interesting. Um, we, we'd already previously outsourced some of our admin to India anyway. So, so we, you know, we've got all this going on. Um, the thing also is the individuals we've hired. So we've got a couple of mothers, um, in fact, three now, um, who, um, you know, obviously want to spend time with their children and they've got to, um, you know, spend the time with taking them to nurseries or whatever. We've got a father that does school drops. 
Um, we've got professional um, sportsman, rugby player, huh. uh, touch rugby. Interesting. Um, and he has training schedules to work around. And then we've got somebody as a traveler. So um, he spent a lot of lockdown in Colombia. Um, and he decided if he's going to be um, locked in somewhere, it's going to be in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, he's and he was Canadian, so he ran from the Canadian winter into summer into Colombia, and then he went back to Canada, and he's now in Spain. So amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's great. It's the it's just lovely, and I'm loving the fact that we're enabling people's lives to have that real. Just not everyone talks about work life balance, but they really do have it now. It's it's yeah. That is brilliant because you've reimagined what this job can be and, you know, the taking the best things about recruitment, but then also removing some of the constraints and barriers to, you know, expanding and, and managing people and, you know, also without the same overheads that you had before in terms of like infrastructure, office, rent and all that stuff. It's genius. Absolutely. And I mean, it. It's really very scalable. It is. Uh, it works really well. I think one of the keys is to still make sure people feel like they're part of a team. Yes. Um, and we, we have meet, uh, our business meeting on the Monday morning. Yeah. Um, we sandwich that at the end of the week with a wrap-up meeting. Yeah. So everyone's online together. Um, and um, and then we have one-to-ones during the week. But then you have Microsoft Teams where you know you all of us can see each other's diaries you could go there free i'm going to call them um everyone's got a buddy when they join and, and as well as their manager so and everyone there's a really great team banter it actually feels the same as it ever was in an office um we all still joke and laugh when we're on the meetings and it's almost because you can see each other and, yeah. and stuff um it's going to be really strange when we meet for the first time in person <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> for sure so is that planned or we're, we're certainly hoping to, yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to be setting goals for um, sometime next year to, you know, if we hit these goals, then then we'll have a, an international meetup somewhere um, and we'll, we'll choose somewhere decent and then we'll go along and meet up. So, oh, yeah, be that's fun. the plan. I hired my right-hand person, Leanne, uh, during lockdown and we met finally for the first time a few months ago, a year after we'd, you know, so we've been working together for a year and we'd never actually met. It was quite a surreal experience when we actually were in the flesh, you know, it, uh, I think you'll have a lot of fun, um, when that happens. So, uh, I have a question for you. So regarding hiring rookies versus experience, this is always, a the, the, the sort of dichotomy, isn't it? Of, you know, there's pros and cons to each. Um, and you've gone for the folks who have experience, what is your now in terms of managing people remotely i think that does make sense because rookies i think would benefit from that incubation of being you know in um in a physical environment where they're uh, absorbing the culture as well as you know learning by osmosis by hearing people's calls and and that sort of thing um so I, that makes sense given your business model but why do you why do you, why is your preference to hire experienced folks um, these days? I'd say it, it 
that's a huge part of it, definitely, mm. because it's remote. We can't necessarily give them the chance to absorb. We have we we have actually um, had someone who's come in as a resourcer, who's more of a rookie, mm-hmm. you know, will train as a consultant, um, and they get to shadow. So you can provide shadowing of all the different meetings, all the parts of the process. But you're right; they're not seeing that whole thing going on a whole day of what someone does in a recruitment consultant world and and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other part was um, I. I give my all to somebody new joining us. We do a lot of training, induction. We we do a lot of hand-holding, getting people in the right place. And with a rookie, they do tend to, you know, they don't always stay, as I said earlier mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And I guess I each time I lose somebody, I, I my, a little bit of my, my heart goes with that. And it's like, okay, you know, now they're moving and, and we've done all this with them. And, and um, you get resilient about that over the years. But, but at the same time, it's like, wow, this could give me the chance to get people who are going to be long-term stayers that really see they've tried other companies. And, and this is one thing a lot of people will always tell us that, you know, we gave them so much um, help, we give them support, we, we get the right tools set up for people. But you don't know that. If it's your first company, you don't know that's better than the next company until you've tried it. And and I guess it's sort of, I'm employing people that have already tried other companies and then they come to us and realize how good we are. All right, that's awesome. How do you um, assess people though? Because I think the, the risk of taking a, a recruitment consultant who's experienced is, uh, well, why are they leaving in the first place if they're doing really well? And then, um, like, you want those top performers rather than the the kind of people who – because there is a lot of recruitment consultants who are on a merry-go-round to spend a year here. Then they go to another place for a couple of years, then six months here. And there's just loads of people making those rounds. So how do you – ensure that the people you're bringing on board are a compatible with your culture and the way you want, you know, and your values and everything and B are going to be the ones who perform. A really good question. And, and, and it's, it's interesting. Well, that whole Mary Gurgaran thing's always a, a warning bell. You really need to go find, find tooth comb as to why anyone's done that or, or avoid it if you can. Um, gut instinct's very good, but we, we always did personality profiling mm-hmm. until um, probably the recent, the first lot of recent hires in 2020, and we decided to take a, a gamble with them and not personality profile them, mm-hmm. and made a couple mistakes. Mm-hmm. So we're back to paying for personality profiles again. Um, mm-hmm. I find them really, really useful, um, and they they're not a cheap thing to do, but they're worth every penny because a bad hire um, or a, you know a hire that doesn't work out is not good for anybody. True. Um, and so so yeah, we we we're, we're checking people out through the personality route now, and um, it's great. Intra- it makes a Do you mind sharing the tool that you guys use? Yeah, we use Thomas. Thomas, um, yeah. Yeah. I tried a few others again, and there's a few kicking around the market. And um, each time I come back to Thomas because I really like the way that they lay out the profile results and, mm-hmm. and understand. I was I did all their training years ago as well, so I, I guess that helps in some ways. But they will give you lots of detail. They're actually good. Um, as we get bigger, we'll go back to using them properly on a retained basis. So then we can also use it as a management tool with our existing team. Um, so you can see how to manage people and get the most mm-hmm. from them and, and what motivates them and all of that. Um, and that's another great thing about doing the personality profile before bringing them on. You will get that information um, to, to help you um, in their journey and help them in their journey. Fantastic. So that you've got the Thompson uh, personality profile. Are there, what are the other... Um, keys to your selection process to so that you feel confident when you're making that offer that you know of course you 
there's always an element of risk and and with because human beings, you know, right? So, but you feel confident making an offer that yes, we found a think global person. Um, a lot of competency interviewing. Yeah. Um, so we use comp- we know the competencies that we're looking for, and we will ask questions around those. We dig into the CVs, and we do do a lot of digging around. You know, what targets and goals have you worked to in the past, mm-hmm. and how did you do against these? And and I'm also um, uh, NLP master practitioner. Oh wow, that's so, cool. I don't think yeah. I knew that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Don't tell everyone because I can read eye patterns. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> so, I, and, and it's amazing, actually, that really does help in recruitment. It, it, you really can delve better into people and understand them better when you've got that. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, a really um, valuable toolkit that you can, you can draw upon. When did you do your NLP training? Um about five years ago. Okay, so that's why yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. And I we, still keep on top yeah. of it. So yeah. oh, that's cool. um, my, my trainers actually, they were brilliant during lockdown. They started every Tuesday a free one-hour session with everyone that's worked with them before. Oh, that's cool. So And they've maintained it. It's still going. It's awesome. Do you, do you mind sharing who you, who you uh, recommend for NLP training? Sure. I recommend two different companies. Toby and Kate um, are, are the two that um, – Toby and Kate McCarthy, uh, McCartney – Carney, yeah, um, they they're the two that I went all the way through to masters with. They're a lovely couple, very dynamic. Um, Toby's also started a really good sustainable business recently. If um, he uh, creates um, roads from plastics, oh cool, so waste plastics, which wow. is absolutely amazing, um, and that's that's taken off across the globe. Um, and um, I find them quite both very inspirational. Um, I've also worked with a lovely lady called Madeline Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these people are based in Scotland, although Toby and Kate run most of the training in London mm-hmm. um, and in Turkey, which is nice. Okay, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and, and Madeline Allen, um, she's also very good. Um, she's she's good for business training. She'll come in and she's taken our team sometimes through some of the team building days and things like that. Awesome. Um, and um, yeah, she's a lovely lady. My mum and dad are both NLP master practitioners ah. and... I've never done the train like I've read books by Bandler and Grinder and I so I'm I kind of was immersed in it growing up but I've maybe because I don't know there's like what your parents do there's a certain element of resistance to <laughs> like um but I'm sh- I would like to do it uh, eventually so this is cool yeah. good good yeah no I recommend that to anyone yeah. and, and my first taste of NLP was right the way back to those per temps days when I had the training down at the manor in England yeah. um in um at Tim Watts's manor I think it was and and they gave us a little bit of NLP there oh, wow. and they were ahead it of was their that time. I remembered that for years and years and years yeah. and then when I and then I saw these um courses coming up and most of the NLP um trainers will let you do a free first session okay. to get a taster of it Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then the next bit you pay, but then you get that chunked off. If you go forward each time you go forward, you take off the bit you've already paid till you get okay. to your full call. Oh, that's cool. My my dad did his NLP training in the eighties uh, in Santa Cruz, California, which was like really. It, I'm from a small town in called Halifax in Nova Scotia, and well, it's a city, but it's a small city. And to go like this was just so weird. Like he went to California and got this weird training. And he would try and explain to people. And at the time, like it was just, it. I don't know, like people thought it was really quite, um, 
you know, hippie sort of like woo woo stuff. Right. <laughs> and now I think it's more and more mainstream, but, uh, that's cool. So, yeah. so what's next for think global recruitment? Okay. So, so we're growing. Um, we're continuing to look for good consultants. Uh, we, we've got a plan to, um, hopefully double in size in the next two years. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we've also, um, giving our consultants now specialisms in each area of the accounts and finance industry sector. That's working really well. Um, and, um, yeah. And I mentioned we might bring back the virtual conference as well, which will be good. Um, hopefully, um, more international gatherings of the team and, and um, lots of exciting things. We've actually got a team business planning day on Monday. Um, oh, great. So, yeah, it should have it should have happened a couple of times. But um, we, it's, I don't know if you heard about South Africa have this thing called load shedding. And nope. so they get power cuts at certain times of the day oh. every day when the government decree it. And um, so, yes, so we've had a couple of moves, but uh, we're getting there and it's all going to happen next week. Well, I'm excited. And uh, you're always uh, someone who... You know, you're so energetic and I absorb that energy from you, Abigail. So thank you for bringing that energy to the Resilient Recruiter podcast and uh, let's keep in touch. I, I'll look forward to hearing the next um, the next chapter. Brilliant, Mark. And thank you for your, your support through those 20 years we've known each other. Thank you so much for listening to the Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.